Hi, everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of the Wild Burrow Podcast. And today is MLK Day, and I just want to say happy birthday to MLK and uh, happy day to everyone. I hope we're all uh, we're all celebrating today. I hope you have off from work and you have some time to enjoy the day and take some time out for yourself and let's just meditate on love. You know, like just think about love. And uh, today's a great day to do that. And MLK thought a lot about love. And um, that's what I'm going to talk about today. And uh, I'm going to read a lot of MLK speeches. Um, I would have liked to play the actual recordings of the speeches, but uh, there's like some weird copyright stuff going on with that. So um, I'm going to try to do it justice, but uh, I would encourage you to just maybe go and like watch him talk today at some point because. Um, in addition to just being such a, a loving and spiritual person, he um, he's one of the great orators of all time. And, and that was that was a huge part of his gift um, that he gave us. So so definitely treat yourself to that today. But um, I wanted to start off by just talking about what MLK has meant to me and what the that whole movement. Um, it's it's a very special time in American history when we really had a real spiritual nonviolent movement based on love which really required hundreds of thousands and millions of people like looking into themselves and deciding to choose their conscience over over hate and um, that was not an easy process which i'm gonna read some of mlk's words about that how he had to win over people to this idea of love and um and that's really what what created the movement and made it special and, and that's that's the real gift um to me that MLK gave, gave all of us, which is, um, he loved so much that he, he's loved all of us. He's changed all of our lives. All of our lives have a little bit more love because of MLK because, and some of his, his readings will, will, um, will, he will talk about this, but the way that they approached the, the racial issue in the South and resolved that nonviolently and with love, it, it it healed it, it created a, a more healed situation afterwards versus like if we had a civil war or armed conflict or something like we could still have a bitterly divided country today but um they resolved that conflict with with love and um it created a a, a feeling of brotherhood and just all of the it's it's your mind can't comprehend just all of the relationships and the ways that we interact with each other on a daily basis like all this, I, in my opinion, is has been made possible and made better by this nonviolent movement. And I, I do want to just give credit to all the people who participated in that. I mean, MLK is just one person. But uh, he stepped into a situation where his message really resonated. And um, I want to give credit to the hundreds of thousands and millions of people who um, they made a, a difficult decision to not act on hatred when uh, they easily could have. I mean, I, you know. I don't know if I would I would have uh, been able to to be peace do a peaceful protest when um, they were dealing with with the the horrible conditions in the South at the time and um, so that that's that's the really significant thing about that I think it shows that the spirit lives in everyone and um, it's it's really an amazing time of history and American history that 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 occurred and um, I think it's also important to acknowledge just the broader historical context of this because after World War II there was a lot of these like anti-colonial movements going on all over the the world and uh, we had all these communist revolutions and everyone was um, 
was fighting against like this old way of like segregation and racialized societies and oppression and um, all these like uh, these things are, you know, laws, like there were laws that specifically excluded certain people just based on these like arbitrary things, you know, your, your skin color and stuff. And um, so Gandhi, you know, Gandhi was part of that. Um, it, uh, this is when all these, you know, African countries, um, they kind of overthrew all their colonial leaders and stuff. And uh, so I'm not an expert in, in specifically what happened in each country, but um, that was all going on after World War II. And so what happened in the United States, um, to me, that was kind of like the American manifestation of that and kind of just this awakening of like, hey, like we're human beings, you know, um, we should be treated as such. And um, and there were specific things to the U.S. that, that led to this happening in the 50s, um, starting in the 50s. So it's quite a time. And um, so that kind of leads me to like with the present moment, you know, how does this relate to where we're at now? And um to talk about that, I wanted to read actually the last words that MLK ever spoke. So this is from his speech, I See the Promised Land, which is from 1968. And um, these were this was his last speech. He, um, I mean, this is very famous. A lot of you are probably already really familiar with this, but um, he was assassinated the day after he said this. And so I'm going to read this because he talks about the promised land. I want us to think about that. What is, what is, what can we th think about the promised land and, and what was he talking about? So, so here's MLK's words. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop and I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain and I've looked over and I've seen the promise, promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. So I think that's really interesting that says, he says, I've seen the promised land. Um, I want you to know that we as a people will get to the promised land. And was he talking about segregation and, and ending those those systems of uh, racial racial laws that were oppressing people or was he talking about something more and I think he was talking about something more and actually um, I have a quote from him which I'll read in a bit where he does reference this which um, ending segregation wasn't really the ultimate goal you know like we're trying to create a real brotherhood of, of people and uh, I mean look around you like um, we don't have that <laughs> today but we can and so the important thing to me that MLK did was like he removed a huge barrier in the way of us realizing like what I think is like God's vision for humanity, which is to re really live in this, uh, like, uh, just a human family, you know, like a real community that, that spreads all over the world and connects everybody in spirit and on that spiritual level. And just, um, everyone just recognizing each other and having that love, that real genuine love. Um, and so that's that's my interpretation of that. I don't think we've reached the promised land yet, but I think that we will get there. And MLK knew that knew that we would get there. He told us that we're going to get there. So I think we still have some work to do to realize that dream. Um, MLK and people like MLK um, and all the people that, that participated in that civil rights movement, um, they really set the stage for us. You know, there, there's no there's no laws today that are oppressing us. The the oppression is uh, it's coming from ourselves. We're, we're all oppressing ourselves and. Um, we could all be sharing our love much more than we are right now. We could all be loving each other a lot more. And that's, that's what I mean when I say we're, we're oppressing ourselves. Um, 
we're keeping our love in, in like a little cage inside our hearts and uh, we can let that out. We can, we can start to let that out. And uh, when we're loving ourselves fully and loving each other fully and, uh, and loving God fully, um, that's really, that's the promised land to me, you know? So that, that's the world. And uh, I, that's, a, that's a reality. That's a real change that we can make. Um, the civil rights movement, that was a real change that people made. And that's how they did it. They, they loved each other and they loved their oppressors so much that, that they literally changed society and made, made the life, made their lives better. And, and so that's something that we can do. You know, they proved that, that we can do that. Um, they were extremely courageous and brave human beings. And um, we're, we're also human beings. So that's that's in our heritage and that's in our lineage. And um, that shows you that, that that's what we're capable of. So so th there's nothing holding us back. The sky's the limit. Um, these people proved the best of what it means to be a human being. And uh, we can do that again. Next, I'm going to read some of MLK's speeches that I've picked out, and the first one is called The Power of Nonviolence. This is from 1958, so for those who aren't aware, um, the civil rights movement really started in 1955 with the Montgomery bus boycott, and then I think it was 1965 when the civil rights bill finally got passed that ended the, um, the, the segregation, legal, legal segregation. And MLK was assassinated in 1968. So that's just like a rough timeline. So this was 1958, so three years after the Montgomery bus boycott. And that, that was sparked by the Rosa Parks affair. So um, this the reason I chose this was he talks about agape love. And, um, and this is what I was talking about a few weeks ago, um, just how love, like it, it has these different aspects. And uh, so here's, um, but there, there's a little preamble. To, to get to that, but uh, so I'll just uh, sit back and, and uh, enjoy the words of MLK. So here we go. From the very beginning, there was a philosophy undergirding the Montgomery boycott, the philosophy of nonviolent resistance. There was always the problem of getting this method over because it didn't make sense to most of the people in the beginning. We had to use our mass meetings to explain nonviolence to a community of people who had never heard of the philosophy and in many instances were not sympathetic with it. We had meetings twice a week on Mondays and on Thursdays, and we had an institute on nonviolence and social change. We had to make it clear that nonviolent resistance is not a method of cowardice. It does resist. It is not a method of stagnant passivity and deadening complacency. The nonviolent resistor is just as opposed to the evil that he is standing against as the violent resistor, but he resists without violence. This method is not aggressive physically, but strongly aggressive spiritually. Um... I think that's interesting because like I referred to that he had to win over people to, uh, to protest nonviolently. So, um, that's understandable. I, I think everyone can understand that, but he, he did win everyone. Well, maybe not everybody, but he won enough people over where, uh, they, they succeeded. So I'm going to keep going with, with MLK's words. Another thing that we had to get over was the fact that the nonviolent resistor does not seek to humiliate or defeat the opponent, but to win his friendship and understanding. This was always a cry that we had to set before people that our aim is not to defeat the white community, not to humiliate the white community, but to win the friendship of all the persons who had perpetrated the system in the past. The end of violence or the aftermath of violence is bitterness. The aftermath of nonviolence is reconciliation and the creation of a beloved community. A boycott is never an end within itself. It is merely a means to awaken a sense of shame within the oppressor. But the end is reconciliation. The end is redemption. 
Then we had to make it clear also that the nonviolent resistor seeks to attack the evil system rather than individuals who happen to be caught up in the system. And this is why I say from time to time that the struggle in the South is not so much the tension between white people and Negro people. The struggle is rather between justice and injustice, between the forces of light and the forces of darkness. And if there is a victory, it will not be a victory merely for 50,000 Negroes, but it will be a victory for justice, a victory for goodwill, a victory for democracy. Another basic thing we had to get over is that nonviolent resistance is also an internal matter. It not only avoids external violence or external physical violence, but also internal violence of spirit. And so at the center of our movement stood the philosophy of love, the attitude that the only way to ultimately change humanity and make for the society that we all long for is to keep love at the center of our lives. Now, people used to ask me from the beginning, what do you mean by love? And how is it that you can tell us to love those persons who seek to defeat us and those persons who stand against us? How can you love such persons? And I had to make it clear all along that love in its highest sense is not a sentimental sort of thing, not even an affectionate sort of thing. Um, so here is when he gets into agape love. Um, I thought that was pretty profound, though, because he understood the situation so deeply that, like, he he recognized that the white oppressors were, like, still human beings. And uh, they were put in this position where it's, like, most likely they were going to oppress black people. But he understood that um, they were human beings on the inside. And he could still appeal to that. So, So here's what he had to say about agape love. The Greek language uses three words for love. It talks about eros. Eros is a sort of aesthetic love. It has come to us to be a sort of romantic love and it stands with all of its beauty. But when we speak of loving those who oppose us, we're not talking about eros. The Greek language talks about philia and this is a sort of reciprocal love between personal friends. This is a vital, valuable love. But when we talk of loving those who oppose you and those who seek to defeat you, we are not talking about eros or philia. The Greek language comes out with another word, and it is agape. Agape is understanding, creative, redemptive goodwill for all men. Biblical theologians would say it is the love of God working in the minds of men. It is an overflowing love which seeks nothing in return. And when you come to love on this level, you begin to love men not because they are likable, not because they do things that attract us, but because God loves them. And here we love the person who does the evil deed while hating the deed that the person does. It is the type of love that stands at the center of the movement that we are trying to carry out in the Southland, agape. So um, that was interesting to me the first time I, I came across this concept. Uh, so apparently in the Bible, um, I guess in the Greek versions of the the Gospels, uh, like the story of Jesus, the they use different words for love. And this is agape. So when Jesus in the Bible says, love, love your neighbor as yourself, he uses like the word agape. And so um, I think that's, that's kind of interesting because like we can love everyone all the time, you know, and it doesn't mean that you want to like kiss someone and uh, like in a romantic way and like, uh, you know, wine and dine them or something like there's more of like this just low level, like understanding that, um, we're all human beings together and, and you can, if someone is mistreating you, like if you have the understanding that um, they're probably really hurting on the inside, or maybe they, they're going through some situation that they just can't handle. And like, um, if you have some understanding and perspective, like we've all done, we've all done, you know, we've all mistreated people and we've all acted out of anger and uh, 
and hatred and and all that so so when somebody does that to you like just think back to a time when you did that and what you were feeling at the time that's probably what they're going through and and that's what he's talking about with this agape love like you can hate what they're doing to you but you can't hate the person because that ultimately is going to hurt you and um that's diminishing your your own love um that that uh you need your love um to be happy and, and to be fulfilled so so that's important to hang on to and and that's what that's what he's talking about and it's, it just amazes me that this this is the idea that, that uh, ended, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years of, of uh, racial discrimination, legalized racial discrimination. So it, it just shows the power of that, you know. There's no force in the universe that can that can defeat that when, when people are acting that way. So, um, so that's agape love for you. Next reading is from his, what, his uh, sermon called The Three Dimensions of a Complete Life, and this is from 1960. And I picked out some different excerpts from the speech. Um, it's really spiritual, and I really like it. And it echoes a lot of things I was talking about last week, except he's very, he's much more eloquent about everything. And so here we go. <clears throat> life at its best and life as it should be is three-dimensional. It's complete on all sides. So there are three dimensions of any complete life for which we can certainly give the words of this text, length, breadth, and height. The length of life, as we shall use it here, is not its longevity, its duration, not how long it lasts, but it is a push, the push of a life forward to achieve its personal ends and ambitions. It is the inward concern for one's own welfare. The breadth of life is the outward concern for the welfare of others. The height of life is the upward reach for God. So these are the three dimensions. On one hand, we find the individual person. On the other hand, we find other persons. At the top, we find the supreme infinite person. These three must work together. They must be concatenated in an individual life if that life is to be complete, for the complete life is the three-dimensional life. Now let us think first of the length of life, and this is that dimension of life, as I've said, in which the individual is concerned with developing his inner powers. In a sense, this is the selfish dimension of life. There is such a thing as a rational, healthy, and moral self-interest. If an individual is not concerned about himself, he cannot really be concerned about other selves. We have a legitimate obligation to set out in life to see what we are made for, to find that center of creativity. For there is within all of us a center of creativity seeking to break forth, and we have the responsibility of discovering this, discovering that life's work. It's dangerous to stop. Well, let me uh, comment on that a little bit. Um, that's really profound because I, it's, it's kind of what I was talking about um, in the last episode of really discovering like your own true hopes and dreams in life. And um, everyone has a unique gift to share with the world. And like, we need to see that. Like, I need to see that from all of you. Um, and that's what God wants to see. You know, God's given you a gift and uh, it's your responsibility to, to cultivate that gift and show it with the rest of the world. And that's going to inspire other people to be their best selves. When I see, you know, when I hear some great music or some great artist or something, it's just like, I'm, I'm just like, amazed by that and i'm just struck by the inspiration like how do they think of that how are they so open to these these amazing ideas and they're able to express that in such a beautiful way like something that i could never do you know um but that inspires me and that inspires me to discover that within myself and express that in my, my own way and so that um i think that's what mlk is, is talking about here so i'll keep going it's dangerous to stop with the length of life some people never get beyond the first dimension of life they're often brilliant people. They develop their inner powers. They do extraordinarily well in their fields of endeavor. 
They live life as if nobody else lived in the world but themselves. Other people become mere means by which they climb to their personal ends or their personal ambitions. Their love is only a utilitarian love. There is nothing more tragic in life to, to find an individual bogged down in the length of life, devoid of the breadth. The breadth of life is that outward concern for the welfare of others. I should submit to you this morning that unless an individual can rise above the narrow confines of his individualistic concerns to the broader concerns of all humanity, he hasn't even started living. I'm absolutely convinced that the problems which we face today in the Southland grow out of the fact that too many of our white brothers are concerned merely about the length of life rather than the breadth of life, concerned about their so-called way of life, concerned about perpetuating a preferred economic position, concerned about preserving a sort of political status and power, concerned about preserving a so-called social status. As we look to these problems, we find ourselves saying, if they would only add breadth to length, the other regarding dimension to the self-regarding dimension, the jangling discords of the South would be transformed into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. Um, so here again, he he's diagnosing the racial problem in the South as a spiritual problem. He's basically saying like, these people are spiritually deficient and that's why we have this segregation. So I think that's, that's again, it's really profound because he's, he got to the root cause of all of this. And it's just the ability of not to see yourself in, in other people. You know, white people were, were living in a way that they saw black people as different than them, that they weren't human. They weren't human in the same way that they were. So, um, so yeah, he was spot on, <laughs> in my opinion. Uh, this, this is what makes him great. So I'm going to keep reading. Um, I am absolutely convinced that God is not interested merely in the freedom of black men and brown men and yellow men. But God is interested in the freedom of the whole human race, the creation of a society where all men will live together as brothers and every man will respect the dignity and worth of all human personality. So this is what I was talking about in the beginning about the promised land concept. And to me, this is MLK is like, he's addressing that. He's like, look, like this isn't the end, you know, uh, God doesn't want to just overturn segregation. You know, God has big, bigger plans for humanity. Um, the creation of a society where all men will live together as as brothers and, and sisters, um, um, like as a family, you know, so, so that's, that's our job. I feel like that's the job of our generation is, is to realize, realize this dream that became possible because of, um, because of segregation was overturned. So, okay, I'm going to keep going. Finally, there is another dimension. We must not stop with length and breadth. There is another dimension. Now, some people never get beyond the first two. They are brilliant people. And in many instances, they love humanity. They have active social concerns. They stop right there. So they seek to live without a sky. They, they seek to live life without a sky. They live only on the horizontal plane with no real concern for the vertical. Now, I know that there are many reasons why people neglect this third dimension, this point of reaching up for the eternal God. Some people, I'm sure, have honest reasons for, for not pursuing the ends of the third dimension. Some people have looked out into the world and they have noticed evil in all of its glaring and colossal dimensions. That's something that the poet Keats called the giant agony of the world. They found themselves asking, how is it that a good God, who is at the same time an all-powerful God, how is it that such a God will allow all of this evil to exist in the world? And so they find themselves caught up in the problem of evil. Because of that, they end up neglecting the third dimension. And others who have gotten disgusted with organized religion, and as a result of their disgust with organized religion, and those people who claim that they believe in God living contrary to all the demands of religion, 
They have decided that the third dimension is a waste of time, and we must admit that so often the church has been the arch-conserver of the status quo. The church has too often been that institution that serves to crystallize the patterns of society through often evil patterns. How often in the church have we had a high blood pressure of creeds and, and an anemia of deeds? People looking out at that, seeing that the church has often gone out in society with no social, co social consciousness, they've decided to neglect the third, the third dimension. And then there are others who find it difficult to square their intellectual worldview to the sometimes unscientific dogmas of religion. But I imagine that most people fit in another category altogether. They are not theoretical atheists, they are practical atheists. They are not the people who deny the existence of God with their minds and their lips, but they are the people who deny God's existence with their lives. For some of these other people who have the theoretical doubts and honest doubts reveal a deeper commitment in so many instances because while they deny God's existence with their minds, they affirm God's existence in the bottom of their hearts and with their lives. But there is another type of atheism that is much more damaging. And so there are many people that have neglected this third dimension just because they've become so involved in things, unconsciously believing that only those things which we can see and touch apply the five senses to. That's their whole existence. But in spite of our theoretical denial, we still feel in life another impinging upon us. In spite of our doubts, we go on in life having spiritual experiences that cannot be explained in materialistic terms. In spite of our inordinate worship of things, something keeps reminding us that the eternal things of the universe are never seen. We go out at night and look up at the beautiful stars as they bedeck the heavens like swinging, swinging lanterns of eternity. For the moment, we think we see them all. Then something comes to tell us, oh no. We can never see the law of gravitation that holds them there. We look at this beautiful church building and we see the beautiful architecture and we think for the moment we see all. Oh no. We can never see the mind of the architect who drew the blueprint. We can never see the love and the faith and the hope of the individuals who made it so. You look here this morning and I know you're saying, we see Martin Luther King. I hate to disappoint you. You merely see my body. You can never see my mind. You can never see my personality. You can never see the me that makes me, me. So in a real sense, everything that we see in life is something of a shadow cast by that which we do not see. Plato was right. The visible is a shadow cast by the invisible. And so in spite of our denials, we are still reminded of this. And may it not be that God is still around? And all of our new knowledge will not diminish his being one iota. All of our new develop developments can banish God neither from the microcosmic compass of the atom, nor from the vast unfathomable unfathomable, <laughs> unfathomable, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, um, ranges of interstellar space, <laughs> living in a universe in which we are forced to measure stellar distance by light years, confronted with the illimitable expanse of the universe, in which stars are 500 million billion miles from the earth, which heavenly bodies travel at an incredible speed, and in which the ages of planets are reckoned in terms of billions of years. Modern man is forced to cry out with the solace of old. When I behold the heavens, the work of thy hands, the moon, the stars, and all that thou hast created, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou remembereth him? And so it may well be that God is still around. So let us go out with the cultivation of the third dimension. For it can give life new meaning. So I I just really love that when I was I was reading that and uh I was looking at speeches to, to share with, with everyone. And um, it's just so, uh, it's so beautiful the way he talks about this. And he's just saying like, you know, our lives, 
we live, we're, we're all modern, you know, we, we look at ourselves and we're like, well, we live in civilization and we're modern people. We have computers, we have smartphones, we have all this technology. We've, we've really come a long way and all that. And he's basically saying, well, there's still this sense of wonder and mystery that that's, that's always been here and it, it'll always be here. Like no matter what advanced telescopes we discover, like the enormity of the universe is going to be beyond the comprehension of the human mind. And like, how did that even come to be in the first place? And there's just these certain things like you're just struck by a sense of wonder when you look up at the stars and look at the mountains and you get a sense of something way bigger that, that this is all reflecting somehow, or it's like, uh, it's an impression of, of this greater thing is that's, that's that quote he shared. So, um, that to me is God. That's, that's the presence of God in our lives in the universe is this greater force of great beauty and meaning and, um, peace, peace and love. And, uh, so my life has been, um, my life has really been touched when, when my eyes were, were open to this other presence in the world. Uh, it really added a, a lot of meaning and, and comfort to me because, um, it makes you feel connected to something bigger than yourself. Like when I go out and, you know, I spend a lot of time out in nature, I've been really fortunate to go to a lot of beautiful places and I've spent a lot of time in, in mountain ranges and just hiking and camping and backpacking and stuff. And you see the mountains and you're just like, it's so beautiful. Like you can't even imagine all, all of the beauty that like you can't visually <laughs> just one mountain, like there's too much there to even appreciate in one lifetime. But um, we have this something similar that's inside of us and that that's what love is really inside of us it's that's that's our connection to this bigger thing and um and we were created you know we were created by the same thing that created the universe we're all we're all different manifestations and interpretations of, of god that's how i look at it and um human beings are, are an amazing creation of god and, and each one of us is an amazing I, I the way i think about it is like we're all we're all a different interpretation of what it means to be a human being and even just being a human being is an interpretation of, of life. Um, all different life forms have, have just amazing, interesting things about them. And, um, just this, this, like our brains, every, every living thing has, has some aspect of it that our brains can't understand. You know, our brains are, are physical, but, um, we have this, uh, we have this non-physical part of ourselves. And uh, so that's, that's really all our, where all of our thoughts are coming from. And, and the neurons in our brain, they're all firing uh, because of that. So, um, so MLK, he, he saw that, um, you know, in the cosmos and everything and inside himself. And uh, so we all have that. And uh, it's really amazing, <laughs> you know, like life is a miracle and that's um, every day is a miracle just for us to be here. And, um, the simple things, you know, you can always appreciate that. So, so when you're going through a hard time, uh, just remember, you know, you're, you're a creation, you're this amazing creation of God and you're, you're a brother and a sister to the stars and the cosmos. Like we're all, we all came from the same place. So, um, there's one more part from the speech and here it is. Love yourself. If that means rational, healthy, and moral self-interest, you are commanded to do that. That is the length of life. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. You are commanded to do that. That is the breadth of life. But never forget there is a first and even greater commandment. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. That is the height of life. 
When an, when an individual does this, he lives a complete life. So those are MLK's three dimensions of a complete life. And that, that was even just like, I picked out some excerpts from this, from his sermon. So it's even longer if, if you want to go check it out. Um, I'll put it in the description of the podcast. The last reading from MLK today is kind of a segue to what I'm going to talk about in the next episode, which um, it'll be next week, probably next weekend sometime. And MLK went to India, which uh, I didn't really know for a long time, but he went to um, to learn about Gandhi and the Indian struggle against British colonialism. And he was really influenced by Gandhi. I mean, even from the start, he was like, yeah, I'm, I'm using Gandhi's method of nonviolence. And um, so he uh, he wrote a thing about his trip. And that's what I'm going to read from. So this is from My Trip to the Land of Gandhi, which is from 1959. And here is what MLK said. The trip had a great impact upon me personally. It was wonderful to be in Gandhi's land, to talk with his son, his grandsons, his cousins, and other relatives, to share the reminiscences of his close comrades, to visit his ashrama, to see the countless mem- memorials for him, and finally to ray a leaf at his entombed ashes at Rajgat. I left India more convinced than ever before that nonviolence resistance is the most potent weapon available to oppress people in the struggle for freedom. It was a marvelous thing to see the amazing results of a nonviolent campaign. The aftermath of hatred and bitterness that usually follows a violent campaign was found nowhere in India. Today, a mutual friendship based on complete equality exists between the Indian and British people within the Commonwealth. The way of acquiescence leads to a moral and spiritual suicide. The way of violence leads to bitterness in the survivors and brutality in the, in the destroyers. But the way of nonviolence leads to redemption and the creation of the beloved community. This is just um, reinforcing what I was saying earlier that the way that Gandhi and MLK approached what potentially could have been a really violent and and bloody conflict, um, it not only was successful (laughs) in overturning these systems of oppression, but the result was... uh, this creation of the beloved community. So that, that really just, it's like he put the entire society like light years ahead of where they they would have been and just possibly having decades or centuries of just lingering bitterness. So, so that's the really significant thing about this. Um, But I'll keep reading. Oh, so he's talking about, uh, again, he, there was a lot of people doubting nonviolence as, as a method of resistance. And so he's talking about um, talking, trying to persuade some African students he met to choose nonviolence. So he says, we argued at this point, we argued this point at some length with the groups of African students who are today studying in India. They felt that nonviolence resistance could only work in a situation where the resistors had a potential ally in the conscience of the opponent. We soon discovered that they, like many others, tended to confuse passive resistance, excuse me, with non-resistance. This is completely wrong. True nonviolent resistance is not unrealistic submission to evil power. It is rather a courageous confrontation of evil by the power of love in the faith that it is better to be the recipient of violence than the inflictor of it, since the latter only multiplies the existence of violence and bitterness in the universe, while the former may develop a sense of shame in the opponent and thereby bring about a transformation and change of heart. Nonviolent resistance does call for love, but it is not a sentimental love. It is a very stern love that would organize itself into collective action to right or wrong by taking on itself suffering. While I understand the reasons why oppressed people often turn to violence in their struggle for freedom, it is my firm belief that the crusade for independence and human dignity 
that is now reaching a climax in Africa will have a more positive effect on the world if it is waged along the lines that were first demonstrated in that continent by Gandhi himself. And that's a perfect segue to what the next episode will be about, which is Gandhi's uh, struggle for, um, well, I won't get into it too much, but it's, uh, he wrote this book called Satyagraha in South Africa, and we're going to talk about Satyagraha and, uh, and what that means. So stay tuned for that. But, um, what I thought it was significant about this was that, again, he's saying, choose nonviolence, like to save yourself, <laughs> basically. And he's also saying that you do need to take action to overthrow these systems of oppression. So he's not saying like, just sit there and do nothing. He's like, take action to become free, but you have to do it with love or else you will, you're going to lose yourself. Like, even if they had a, an armed conflict or something, and maybe they, they would have overturned a couple of laws or something. But like, if you are hating anybody, even if it's these people who are suppressing you, and this is why it was such a, it's such a, uh, a hard ask, you know, <laughs> like, um, these systems of oppression were just so brutal and it was just like, uh, it's, it was awful to that, to make an understatement. Um, and to tell people who are living with that, you know, generations of people to, to love instead of hate their oppressors, um, it, it saved the, uh, well, that's what he says, you know, it's, um, it's better to be the recipient of violence than the inflictor of it. So if you hate somebody else, like you just lost already. So that, that's the end of your struggle because you lost yourself. You lost your soul and you lost the ability to love other people and you lost the ability to love yourself and you, you'll never be happy like that. And you'll never, you'll never become um, what you're supposed to. So, so that's MLK. Um, I hope you enjoyed those readings. And uh, this was just a small selection, you know, so I'd encourage you to, if you like these, you know, take a look around. Um, I'll post the book I, I read most of these from. And um, yeah, explore him. Uh, he really knew a lot about love and I, we, we can still learn a lot about him. We could spend our whole lives learn, learning from him. So so I'm really happy that um, I could celebrate him a little bit on, on this show. And uh, I hope we can all have a little birthday celebration for Stevie Wonder. Um, I'm, or not for Stevie Wonder, for, for MLK. <laughs> I'm going to post this uh, Stevie Wonder happy birthday song on the subreddit. And uh, as a way of encouraging people to get out on the subreddit, you know, maybe just go over the subreddit and uh, listen to the song or, or just write a comment and just say happy birthday, MLK, or, or write about, uh, I don't know, you know, if you um, had other thoughts or other speeches you like, you know, like write a comment about that or uh, let's, let's have a little party on the subreddit. Let's all wish MLK happy birthday and uh, let, let's celebrate the guy today. And let's, let's uh, think about love today. So, I'm going to close by reading the the end of uh, Happy Birthday by Stevie Wonder. So here it is. We know the key to unity of all people is in the dream that you had so long ago. That lives in all of the hearts of people that believe in unity. We'll make the dream become a reality. I know we will because our hearts tell us so.